tuned into Out of the Voice Box, where candid conversations bring great minds together from across the nation. Join us for access to cutting-edge voice-related information you won't find in a textbook yet. We are your hosts, Sarah Charney and Nathaniel Sundholm. The opinions and viewpoints on this program are those of the featured individuals, not their respective institutions. This program is not a substitution for medical care. On today's episode, we're talking all about weed, marijuana, ganja, cannabis, the devil's lettuce, whatever you want to call it. We've called in the scientific expert to get to the bottom of this hot topic. Are you full of questions? Are you full of burning questions? Well, so are we. Dr. Aaron Ziegler, a certified speech-language pathologist and founder of the Wellness Group for Voice, Speech, and Swallowing, will help us unravel the mysteries of cannabis consumption and potential impacts on vocal health. We wanted to start off by giving a very warm welcome to Dr. Ziegler. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So, considering that marijuana may be legalized in more places and will likely be more accessible in the next five or so years, we want the tea. We know you've done some significant research on the impact of marijuana on vocal health, including a systematic review. You were featured on JAMA about a year ago. So it just made sense to us to reach out to you, Dr. Ziegler, to talk about this topic. So we have some very specific questions that patients have brought to us over the years, and we want all the knowledge. So are you ready? Let's go. All right. So to start off with, what are some of the major relative risks of cannabis consumption as they relate specifically to the voice and airway? This question is an important one and highly relevant, I think, for us as voice professionals caring for uh, this part of the body. Unfortunately, there is not a whole lot of evidence that we have directly from studies at the larynx. So it really comes from studies looking at the entire respiratory system and inferring. And also drawing, making inferences from what we see with tobacco smoking. What we know is that it can cause some uh, inflammation and mucus production and um, can in people with heavy doses of uh, consumption. And this is all I'm talking about through smoking. So inhaling through a joint, a bong, those types of uh, methods. This would cause edema, you know, inflammation, uh, mucus, these types of uh, responses, cough, an obstructive component in heavy users. That's considered more than 20 joint years. So we know people are going to do it anyway, right? You have a little mucus. You maybe have a cough when you are smoking, right? But we know people are going to do it. Um, So with that in mind, can you give us a working ranking list of consumption methods from the least safe to the least risky? I wish it were so simple. I think we can make some statements that are based on intuition and some of the scant data we have in the literature. Certainly inhaling by smoking is going to be hot and have byproducts that are released and that we inhale. 
So if we break it down a little bit more, so clearly you have to make something combust to create smoke, right? Yes. So there are combustible methods and non-combustible methods. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit more about the difference between those two? So it just means that when you combust something, it gets to a point where it actually burns versus non-combustible methods for inhaling don't actually cause any fire. It doesn't cause the material to burn, but rather you heat it to a point that it gives off uh, vapor. So now you're talking about heat. Vaporizing. And yes. So fill us in, because I think there's a lot of confusion about what is this process of vaporization versus what is traditional smoking. Right. So smoking is like a joint, like a, a marijuana cigarette, cannabis cigarette, where you have the cannabis leaf, much like you would have a tobacco leaf um, in wrapped in paper, and you would light it with a lighter, and it would burn, it would combust. And it's at very high temperatures, uh, you know, hundreds, 600, 900 degrees Fahrenheit versus vaporizing. If you got the, the cannabis leaf that hot, it would combust. So vaporizing, because you don't want it to combust, you don't want it to burn, um, it's heated to a much lower temperature. But it's still heated to a pretty considerable temperature, like I think somewhere around 200 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and we also have to realize that once you vaporize, you've taken away some humidity. So the next time you go to hit that leaf, that flower, it is now less humidified. It will now vaporize at a lower temperature or combust at a lower temperature. And so you have to also make sure you adjust. Are there data to show, obviously we know that data is limited in this area, but are there data to show that the temperature of the inhalant can have varying effect on something like edema or swelling of the airway of mucus production of long-term changes to the voice and airway? I have not seen in humans with it related to voice uh, different temperatures. There is one study where they looked at changing people's uh, consumption from smoking to vaporizing. In this study, there was only a one direction, so there's a bit of an order effect. But assuming that what they found wasn't by chance, um, it means that changing to vaporizing, which is more than just a temperature thing, seems to reduce the respiratory um, irritation. So that speaks to temperature, but it also speaks to some of the differences that happen with combustion versus non-combustion in terms of the byproducts. Absolutely. So I want to bring our attention back to something you brought up earlier. Um, you talked about people smoking a joint, right? That is the traditional method of partaking or semi-traditional method of partaking in marijuana. Um, in your JAMA interview, you spoke about the concept of a joint year which we now know is one joint a day for a year, 365 days. You smoke a joint when you get home. That is one joint year. Is there a working comparison with the way that we think about a pack-a-day smoker or a half a pack-a-day smoker and how that conversation 
goes on in our context. Definitely, we can say that with regard to the respiratory system, greater than, I think it's 10 pack years, we consider that to be a large amount, of, a large history of consumption. So yes, we can say that patterns of consumption matter, that when you consume a lot on a regular basis over a large number of years, there is an effect. So um, for someone who has, let's say I'm a five joint year smoker, do we think about that the same way as in someone who is a pack a day smoker for five years? Well, see, this the joint year is a an attempt to quantify. But uh, you have to understand that the uh, marijuana or cannabis strain uh, will differ in what its chemical components are. The way somebody will inhale it or consume it will differ. Even if it's the same exact uh, cannabis, but one consumes it in a joint, no filter, another person consumes it in a water bong, um, all of this is factored in. And then the potency. We don't have, there is, not we, I don't grow and mass produce it, but <laughs> they, they don't have, um, the, although it's better, with now regulating the cannabis industry in certain states, there are certainly better processes um, put in place to help uh, define what you're consuming. Because we have to remember that it's not just consuming the cannabis, but if cannabis is grown outside, it's exposed to the elements, exposed to the environment, and can grow fungus. So you want to make sure you can't, the cannabis that you're consuming isn't, yeah, it doesn't have a, a fungal infection. Ooh, Lord. Have mercy. Have Give mercy. me some, <laughs> some. I don't know. I forget the, the main uh, fungal medication. I don't know, but I don't want Diflucan. It. Give me some Diflucan <laughs> um, with that be. cannabis. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, it's important that we consider that this isn't completely well-defined yet. And so when you see how much THC is in something versus CBD, was it grown outside? Was it grown indoors? Um, all of this and how is it consumed, all of this matters for really the effect on the body. I was just thinking about this as you were talking. Do you think that this at all influences your counseling, whether or not someone is a singer or a performer? Um, would that change recommendations at all? I don't know if you've noticed that performers maybe seem to be impacted more because they're listening maybe more closely to the quality of their voice, maybe require more endurance. I'm just wondering if you've noticed anything even clinically. Oh, what a timely question, Sarah. I am actually getting ready to publish some data from a multi-center study done with Dr. Gillespie at the Emory Voice Center looking at um, cannabis consumption patterns in voice patients, and I can give you a little insider now, realize that our goal in the study was to quantify the prevalence of consumption amongst our uh, people who were patients at our voice clinics uh, and not to look at the effects. Um, we would need to sample a lot more of just consumers. So um, we had overall um, 127 people who consumed at some point in their life. So that was about 40% of the sample. 
Um, and then in terms of current, which is the past 30 days, that's how you define current use, there were 22. And then out of those 22, we had um, different, you know, some were professional voice users. They self-identified, you know, if they were a teacher, they considered themselves professional voice users. So we have to go through the data. But essentially, we weren't finding a whole lot of differences. And you, I was really quite, quite surprised. People are at least in, and there were differences between Pennsylvania and where um, Dr. Gillespie was when this study was conducted and where I am in Portland, in Oregon, um, consumption patterns differed because leg legalization is different. And so actually, in Oregon, we saw not as many people consuming through inhalation. And we saw a lot more solves, tinctures, um, ingestion, and topical um, methods. Versus in Pennsylvania, we really didn't see a whole lot of variety because there aren't a whole lot of options unless you can make it up, make it on your own. For singers, it really depends why somebody is consuming. Maybe a singer has pain, joint pain, and so they use a topical. That has no influence on their voice if it's CBD and they're not taking it at the time. I mean, obviously, it's local effects, um, and it should just relax that joint or have inflammatory, anti-inflammatory effects on that joint. Yeah, it depends on what they're consuming, why they're consuming, how they're consuming, um, and so I think that's one of the big take-homes here, and I think you're getting at it too, Nathaniel and Sarah, that people don't consume cannabis just to get a head high, and they don't just smoke joints and sit around smoking joints. I actually had one patient who said, is it okay if I tell you I use it on my skin? And I said, absolutely, that's fine. She goes, that counts? I said, yes. It was supposed to be anonymous. She had a question. She didn't know if it counted. Because in her mind, this study was about people who just smoke. But cannabis is used, we use hemp. It's from the cannabis plant. And it's been thousands of years this plant's been around. So I think you bring up a really great point that this is a conversation to be had and a questions and answers that we as clinicians should make our patients feel comfortable in confiding in a way that is not judgmental, but is rather informative. Provide information, let them take that information and make decisions. Exactly, exactly. We know that this, you know, evidence-based information is really hard to come by because of sometimes the stigma behind marijuana consumption. So do you have any suggestions for how uh, others can find this information and where they can find it, especially if they're busy? Well, there are some, you know, more scientific places that you can go. And then there are some more fun kind of entertaining experiences that could help you learn. You could go to Netflix and there's some great shows on Netflix about food, gastronomy and, and uh, cannabis. And there's a cookbook by the High Times that is highly uh, revered if you want to use cannabis in your diet because it actually has effects on the system that could improve certain aspects of your body. There's also resources like leafly.com, High Times Magazine, and then if it's legal where you're at, both medici either medicinally or recreationally, adult use, you could stop by a dispensary. And the cannabis employees would love to t teach you. It's not as simple as uh, sativa or indica or hybrid. There's terpenes and, it, it, and everybody's body reacts differently and has a different experience. So even if you read the literature, 
um, you're going to see that it's highly varied in people's experiences. So go to those resources, have some fun learning about it, and, and go to your local resources. They're very helpful. And Dr. Ziegler, I think you would probably agree, but if I didn't know something that the patient or client in whatever case you work in brought up, I think we should feel very safe to ask them to explain it, right? If you tell me that you use this thing, okay, tell me a little bit more about that. What do you do? How does it feel? How often do you do it? And so I think the stigma of something that has been illegal for so long and has, you know, accumulated a reputation for being bad for you, et cetera, has kept people from wanting to introduce this, you know, scary topic, this topic that is dirty and inappropriate to talk about in a formal setting. But I think that is really holding us back. And in a world potentially where we are feeling more comfortable about talking about these things for the purpose of empowering our patients and helping us care for them and for them to care for themselves better, we want some bullet points because I know there are some researchers out there listening. There are some future researchers out there listening. And we want just some bullet pointed questions that in your systematic review, what were some of the research questions that you were thinking of when you were going through what is left to find out that you think would be good for our field to investigate regarding cannabis? Uh so many questions. I mean, bullet points, bullet something points. something that's illegal uh, is hard to study. So there's not much out there except for if you go to Israel. I will say, go to the Israeli literature. They've been at the forefront of cannabis research. So, um, and actually, a lot of U.S. Uh, companies invest and conduct research in Israel because it's illegal here. But they're actually conducting their research in Israel. So, big points. Well. Your questions to me are great questions to do research on. What are some of the temperature effects? What if we differ the temperature? What if people um, don't use their vaporizer correctly and burn? Um, what is the difference if they're using it correctly or incorrectly? Um, what if they use it daily versus weekly? What if they ingest versus inhale? You know, we have receptors, cannabinoid receptors throughout the entire body. It's not just in our brain. Um, if that were the case, then we wouldn't have the CBD effects, which are cannabinoid receptors. CBD receptor 1 is usually for CBD uh, effects. And we really want to um, look at all of this cannabis plant in both its positive ways. Because what about the person who is dealing with anxiety? who maybe can deal with it, who can get a cannabis-derived pill that helps to deal with their anxiety. Is that something that is a bad recommendation if it is helpful and there's science behind it and can be proven to help people with stage fright and, and severe anxiety for performing? So it's not just about the negative effects to the throat. It's also positive effects to um, what we have. It stimulates appetite. We have to be appreciative of, appreciate that anything natural in excess can harm us. I just had a patient tell me that she went on cinnamon supplements and had a, basically had cinnamon toxicity. Cinnamon, 
that you put in cookies and cakes. Leave it in your pumpkin pie, honey. Don't <laughs> overdo it in your spiced latte, honey. So uh, we have to, um, I agree, destigmatize things. If if we come across as judgmental, then I wouldn't share either. Right, and then and you're I'll... not going to get the full picture, and that impacts your ability to really impact change. Exactly. And I think, you know, you brought up a really good point, Dr. Ziegler, because I think, you know, many, many of our patients have muscle tension dysphonia, you know, have anxiety, have chronic pain, all of these things. And so, you know, we often think about when we're talking about cannabis consumption in this context, we often think, oh, what are the negative effects in terms of, you know, especially when we're talking about the inhalation method, but maybe we also need to explore these other methods. And actually maybe there's a positive effect for voice patients that, you know, still needs further investigation. So I think that's a really interesting, interesting point you made. Absolutely. Well, it, you know, I think having a oncology pharmacist as a partner makes you aware of the very important need for cannabis for patients who have cancer or other diseases that cause pain, cause nausea, cause um, mucositis and discomfort. And um, cannabis can be a wonderful uh, therapeutic agent. And um, maybe there are some benefits for voice too, like for tremor. A research facility here in, in Oregon, that's actually government funded in part, uh, suggests that maybe there are some specified properties of certain strains that uh, would be helpful in movement disorders. I think we collectively, there's so much we all have to learn and I really appreciate you guiding us to some of these questions that have already been thought of. And hopefully for all you listeners, we hope you enjoyed today's episode, but more so, we hope you are feeling more bold and empowered to listen to your patients when they're telling you some potentially very important information. Thank you for your time. We'll catch you next time.